just this year, I have to start taking off my glasses to look at things up close. The doctor told me I was supposed to get bifocals. I had them for about two weeks, and I couldn't take it. Gave them back, so now I guess until I can have to, I'll just be taking off my glasses. I don't know. My dad keeps telling me everything that he has that happens to him, that it's going to happen to me. And I don't believe it, but he told me about 10 years ago his shoulders, my shoulders would start hurting, and now i got a doctor's appointment next week to go see the doctor for my shoulder. So anyway, that's part of life. So um, I, my aunt was visiting me from Michigan about a month and a half ago, a couple months ago. She came down to visit us. And I was telling her about you know, my career. She was asking me, I, I, my degree is in chemical engineering, but I'm doing marketing now. Never went to school for marketing. Never took a marketing class in college, yet my job now is um, director of marketing for a pretty big company. And she was pretty amazed at how I got into that job. And I was telling her, well, it's just about you know, on-the-job learning. It was interesting to me. I liked it kind of connected with it, and um, so she was impressed by that, and she asked, well, what was it about your background, what was it that instilled in you some of those traits of, you know, really working hard and learning something new to become successful at it? And um, I gave her an answer that she wasn't expecting, because I thought about it, it kind of caught me off guard, I took a step back and said, huh, what was it? And um, what do you think I said? Some of you know me pretty well. I mean, I'd probably say it, you, you know. What do you think? Family example. Family example, OK. The Marines, I know. I said that a lot of them. <laughs> that wasn't the answer. Influence yeah, influence from my dad. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I thought about it, and I thought, you know what it really was? It was wrestling. Wrestling. I wrestled in junior high and high school, and I'm thinking about it. What did I really, what have I counted on? Now, of course, I mean, you can't take the truth from the Bible and everything else, but I'm thinking about some traits of discipline and perseverance and overcoming and those things that helped me to learn something new. It was in wrestling where I learned that. It was in sports. So now I've got kids in sports. I mean, wrestling was great because it had to teach you. I had to cut weight. You had to lose weight to make, uh, you know, get the right weight class. And um, that was tough for a kid in junior high. That took a lot of discipline. There had to be some desire there to want to do that. My wrestling coach, I remember one thing he, he told me, and maybe I think my dad, give him credit, said this something very similar one time. He says, look, if you set your goals here, you'll achieve here. But if you set your goals here, you might not reach them, but you'll achieve here. So those are the types of things I learned in, lesson, in wrestling. There was all these bulletin boards all around the wrestling room. One of them, I can remember it like yesterday, success breeds success. I'll never forget that. So all these things. So it was really what I learned in sports, a sport, wrestling, where I took some of those intangibles that kind of really 
I've been using and counting on throughout the Marines, throughout college, and into my career today. So I think about, I'm thinking more about sports and the purpose of sports. And, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that the Cavaliers just won the national championship for all those that didn't realize that out there. We're in Cleveland. I'm proud to say that, finally, first time in my life. But I give them a lot of credit. They had all this controversy. Oh, are they really a team? Do they really get along? And then there's always the naysayers. You know, they didn't like each other. They, I'm sorry. You cannot succeed like that without being a team. I don't care what anybody says. Keep your analysis, but results speak for themselves. You cannot succeed at that level to become a champion without having certain intangible traits that lead to success. So I like sports. And when people ask me about the kids getting them in sports, there's no question. I want them in sports because sports teach those intangibles. I don't care if they're a state champion. I don't care if they win. But what I care about is that there are certain intangible traits that sports teach you. I want them to develop those traits. If I see them developing those traits, that's what sports is all about, win or lose because those traits are going to help them in life. So that was, got me thinking about this topic, what I want to talk about today. Because I just ask you, you know, we think, okay, some of the things people think about sports, well, it's competitive. Competition's bad. You're always trying to beat somebody. Are you in a competition? Does anybody here think we're not in a competition? Who are we competing with? Who do you think you're competing with? Yourself. That's like the game of golf. That's why golf lovers love, who, who here likes the game of golf? I know. If you talk to a golfer, they love golf because it's the only sport where the only person you're competing with is yourself. <laughs> it's true. It's all up here. If you get one perfect shot, physically, you can do it every single time. Why don't you? Because you can't get this under control. Right? It's a great competition. In life, isn't that the case? We also have an adversary, don't we? God tells us through his word that we have an adversary that is described as a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he can devour. And he is a real adversary and we are in competition with him. It is the life's battle to win the championship. Brethren, sometimes we forget that we're in a competition. We get busy with our TV shows and you know, watch our favorite show. We get distracted. We get busy with the trials and challenges that we run into. There's a lot of stuff that Satan throws at us or that are allowed to happen because 
of the imperfections in the world. And it tears us down, it distracts us, it gets us bogged down. These are the things that are part of that competition. Any competition has struggles. Otherwise, the prize wouldn't matter. Think about it. How great, let me say it a different way. How sweet was this Cavaliers championship because Cleveland hasn't had one in 111, 12 plus seasons of professional sports. It was because it was so unlikely for us Clevelanders to actually get a championship with the adversity. I mean, here, when the Browns win the Super Bowl, wow. Well, the Indians at least have at least been in the World Series. But there's adversity. There's things that get in the way. It's challenging to align things and to overcome things, to not quit. It takes a certain set of intangibles to be successful at anything, including this life. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about well, the title of the sermon is called Seizing Success. But I wanted a word that implied action. Success has to be seized. It's not going to happen to you. I think sometimes we think, all right, I'm just going to just do the bare minimum. I want to be comfortable. We all want to be comfortable. I'm just going to do things, you know, my normal routine, and success will happen to me if I get lucky. God's just, he'll just give me success. God loves me, he'll give me success. Do you think that's how it works? If you do, I don't agree. I see traits of God that require us to have to seize it. And I think that's what God wants to instill in us. That trait. So the title of this sermon is called Seizing Success. Now think about this. God has given us a definition of success. We all have these different definitions of success. The world would define success as how much money you can accumulate. Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'm being too cynical. Maybe it's more about accomplishing goals. People want to accomplish goals and, and they generate wealth in doing so. But whatever your definition is, God gives us a definition of success. See, God has a mission that he's executing. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 provides us a vision of the success that God has in store for us. It says that we've been predestined to a certain goal, to become something. In Revelation chapter 12, break in here in verse 5, 
All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 20. I was looking for the scripture where God tells us that we are to become kings and priests. But let's go to Revelation chapter 20 and we'll read this. It says, And I saw an angel, this is talking about after Satan is bound, right? And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. So after Christ returns, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him in the bottomless pit, and shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. These are those that are part of that first resurrection. Thrones. Judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hearts. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Then it talks about the second resurrection after the thousand years. It says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Then it comes back to that first time, talking about this first resurrection, but this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, talking about immortality, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So if you read through Revelation, you'll see that God's people, we, those that are being called now, are to become kings and priests. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 1. Because this is the true mission, the true goal of God right here. I think sometimes about what is my favorite scripture in the Bible. And it's a toss-up. I like the first Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. But I think, if I really think about it, this would be my favorite scripture in the Bible right here. Genesis chapter 1.26. Because this, brethren, is our mission, our destiny. This is what God wants us to become. He says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now that's one of those scriptures that unless you meditate on that, you cannot appreciate what that really means. Think about the creation. Think about the universe. Think about the fact that none of this existed until God said, he grabbed his hand and said, it's here. I created it. The whole physical universe. Think of the power that God has, the brilliance, the intelligence, the love. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man like us. Now, how many of us are there yet? Yeah, put my hand down. Think of the gravity of that goal. It can seem overwhelming. But brethren, that is the definition of success. Success is when God's creation achieves that goal. 
When we are transformed, all of those people that God made, all of the human beings that he made, that he created physically after his image, are truly transformed into that spiritual being, that perfect, righteous, beautiful, awesome spiritual being, where God can now say, we've done it. They are now created after our likeness and our image. So we're in the process of doing that. We're in the competition striving to achieve that goal. So how can we do it? Because when it, we're tasked with something that seems so impossible, it can be daunting. I read this on the airplane yesterday. I was traveling back from Charlotte. And I read an article about how to train like an Iron Man. Anyone familiar with the Ironman race? I think it's a, a marathon, 26-mile run. I think it's a 112-mile bike race. And I don't know how long the swim is. Anyone know how long the swim is? I think it's like a mile swim. I tried to swim a mile once. Anyone tried to swim a mile before? My, the lake we go visit up in Michigan is a mile wide. And you know, water doesn't look very far when you look across it. So me and my buddy decided, we're going to swim across the lake. About a third of the way, we were like, this was a bad idea. Luckily, my cousin saw us and came out in the boat and got us. Almost drowned. A mile is a long way. So I'm thinking about an Ironman. How do you run? A marathon, then get on a bicycle and ride a bike 112 miles, then get in the water and swim so many miles. So we'll get back to that. How do people do these things? So God is molding and shaping us into something that we're not today. I'm just going to go here and read Isaiah chapter 64 real quickly, just to drive this point home. Isaiah chapter 64 just to verse 8 but now O Lord you are the father we the clay and you are the potter and we all are the work of your hand God is molding and shaping every one of us into that perfect being he wants us to seize success so I thought about what are the things that we can do? What are some of these intangible traits that we can apply to our lives to have a better chance of navigating through this competition of life and seizing that success? Now, there was a book I read a while back. It is one of the most famous business books written. By 2015, last year, 100 million copies of this book have been sold. That's quite a bit. It's called Think and Grow Rich. Anybody familiar with that? It was written by a, a guy that basically wrote, he was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie. See, Andrew Carnegie, the, the steel billionaire philanthropist, said, I want you to write the recipe for success. And he hired this guy, Napoleon Hill, to do it. Napoleon Hill went and interviewed 500, over 500 of the most successful people of his time. 
Some of the people he interviewed were Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, John D. Rockefeller, Charles Schwab, F.W. Woolworth, William H. Taft, Teddy Roosevelt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 500 of the most successful people. And he started to learn, what are the traits? What are the commonalities, these intangible traits that every one of them possessed that led to their success and what they did? Now, I think it's okay to look at that as truth because results speak for themselves. God created a world and he says, if you live a certain way, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. So even if someone's not a born, you know, a begotten Christian, they can still apply godly principles and be successful. So I think there's a lot to learn from that. And what he came up with was first a book, I think it was titled um, um, something about how to achieve success, but then he changed it again into this book, Think and Grow Rich. And there was a number of principles that he de defined of how to become successful in life and in anything you do. So I wanted to go through a few of those and show you in Scripture that those principles truly are aligned with Scripture and God's personality and way of life. So someone want to guess what the first step is, the first thing that you need to be successful in life, to accomplish a goal, to win a championship? Take a guess. A goal. A goal is one of them. But there's something that has to happen before that. That's pretty close. What he said was common of all of these people. Every single one of them had a burning, burning desire to achieve a goal. So they didn't have, they had a purpose, a burning desire, something I heard it called a fire in their belly. Conor McGregor is the current featherweight champion of Ultimate Fighting. Now, I don't watch it, but I was impressed. I saw his story. And I saw him being interviewed, and I was like, that's it! He has it! He's, he has this recipe for success. He's living it. He said he thinks about nothing before he became champion. He was being interviewed, and he says, I don't think about anything other than being champion. I wake up in the morning, I think about being champion. I go to bed at night, I think about being champion. It consumed him. That's all he thought about. That burning desire got his focus like a laser beam focus on that objective. Revelation chapter 3, God tells us in verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things said the Amen, the faithful and true witness. If you want to go there, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Or 16 now. Or, sorry, verse 14. These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. 
So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Why do you think God hates lukewarmness? Because can you win a championship being lukewarm? Has that ever happened in the history of the universe? In any competition, the champion was lukewarm. So how can we achieve success that is far superior than any man's championship, any sports competition, by being lukewarm? If you think about it that way, it makes a lot of sense. And if we're lukewarm, you're deceiving yourself if you think everything's okay. God tells us that he expects us to have zeal. Verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore. The first ingredient to achieve anything in life, especially to be able to achieve that destiny that God has for us, is to be zealous. So develop, brethren, a burning desire. Whatever you have to do, whatever kind of meditation you have to go through, whatever you have to do to study, to make it real to you, if you're going to walk this walk, it has to start with a burning desire. There's six steps I'm going to go through. The second one is aligned with that goal. But it's more than just setting a goal. The second thing that every one of these 500 plus people that were successful did, they, they mastered this talent after they had that burning desire, was called visualization. And there is a difference, brethren. They didn't just set a goal. They visualized it. They visualized themselves achieving it. They meditated and they thought about it. They visualized it. This, this guy, McGregor, or Conor McGregor, said he moved when he was 14 years old out to a remote location and he was kind of cut off from society. He said he had a lot of time alone. A lot of time to just sit and think. And during the interview, he said, that's when I realized and crystallized what I was going to do. And he would visualize what it would be like to be the champion. And that's where he ended up developing that burning desire. And when you visualize it, you start to realize. So if everybody just closes your eyes for a second, I want you to do me a favor. Visualize Jesus Christ living on this earth today. What's his occupation? What's he doing? How does he behave? How does he dress? How does he stand? What are some of his activities? How would he react in tough situations? If you can visualize that, now compare that to how we're living. Because God is asking us to be nothing less than to take on the personality and character of Jesus Christ. How can we do that if we don't master this art of visualization? Pick anything that you want to accomplish. 
visualize what it would be like after you've already accomplished it. This guy, Conor McGregor, in this interview, before he had won, was being interviewed. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get punched. There are certain punches I'm going to get punched this way and that way. It's going to be tough. I know they're going to hit me, but, but I'm going to win. And he says, well, what do you mean you're going to win? Isn't that kind of arrogant? He goes, what if you lose? He goes, that isn't in my thinking. I don't think that way. It's impossible. It is impossible for me to lose because I can't see it. I cannot see myself losing. I am going to win. Because he visualized it. Not only did he visualize it, he acted as if he was a champion already. And doesn't that just get us when we see people doing that? Steph Curry, I know, he acts like a champion, doesn't he? He is. I have to give him credit. He's a champion. LeBron James acts like a champion. So visualization isn't just visualizing it, it's meditating and really visualizing yourself being successful and then acting today as if you've already achieved it. When you visualize success, it helps you to figure out the gaps. It helps you to anticipate the challenges. When this comes out of left field, I'm already thinking about how I'm going to handle it. When a temptation comes out of here, and I'm in a nightclub, or I'm out with my friends, and something happens, I'm, not, I'm visualizing success. I know how I'm going to handle that. And I'm acting that way now. I'm practicing what it's going to be like when I am successful. Visualization, brethren, is a key, is a key to accomplishing your goals. Does God visualize success? Zechariah 14. God visualized the feast, visualized the millennium. When do you think God got that vision about the millennium? He says that this whole thing, we were predestined before the world was created. We could read about that in Ephesians chapter 1. Why don't we turn there? Ephesians chapter 1. Imagine this. Jesus, the Word, and the Father got together one day and they said, let's do this. They visualized success. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus the Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. The vision that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before even the universe was created, he visualized what we would look like when we were done. God practices this process of setting a vision. So number three, the third step, brethren, after you set a vision, 
the next step is to create a plan. Pre create a plan and commit to it. So this McGregor, or Conor McGregor, once he visualized what it was going to be like to be champion, and he said to himself, how does a champion practice? What kind of practice regimen would a champion have? What kind of trainer does a champion need? See, the nice thing about visualization, it attracts to you the things that you need to get the job done. And it helps you to develop that plan. So after you've got that burning desire, you visualize success, make that plan. couple things about a plan. The plan should be doable. It should be broken up into sub-goals. Jesus Christ talks about in Matthew 25, the parable of the... Let, let's go there. It's the parable of the talents. Matthew chapter 25. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. And then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them over. He gave them and made it over. Sorry, I can't see it and made them over five talents. Maybe I have to get those glasses after all. <laughs> but he that had received one went and digged it in the earth and, his, and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servant, this verse 19, comes and re reckons with him. He wanted to see what that servant did with those talents. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you deliver unto me five talents. Behold, I have great... Gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, you good and faithful servant, that you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. So what does this tell me? This tells me that part of the way we prove to God that we can be trusted with the millennium is in the, the little things that we have in this life to accomplish. Don't underestimate how important doing the best you can at school is going to be. That's a little thing. If you can prove that you have the, the desire, the discipline, the visualization, the ability to be successful in school, that's a little thing. It shows God that you can be trusted with bigger things. So put this plan in place in your physical life. If you continue to read the one that didn't do anything with it, that just sat back and figured, ah, my servant's going to be gracious to me. I don't have to do this work. His talent was taken away. God expects us to work. God expects us to develop perfect character, to strive to true religion, as James tells us. So I want to share a quote here about how to set, develop a plan. So this uh, Michael Jordan, no, I'm sorry, Dave Scott, 
Dave Scott was this guy who uh, won the Ironman. He was the Ironman world champion, I guess six-time Ironman world champion. And he was doing some training, and they were asking him how he trains. So I want to share this quote about how he plans his training, how he looks at planning. He says, people often ask me, during the Ironman, when you get a couple of miles, so you're two miles into the Ironman, so he says his most common question he gets asked, during the Ironman, when you get a couple of miles, are you thinking about the last 110? See, that's the reaction when we're planning. We have this huge goal, and we're thinking, wow, how am I going to get to the end? It's 112 miles, or 110 miles. I can't do that. It's too big. It's too much. It's overwhelming. Here's his answer. Absolutely not. You break it up into pieces and it becomes a mind game and it's an easy game. I'm going to run a mile. All right, now I'm going to run another mile. Now I'm going to run this next mile this way. Just keep going, one at a time. This is the part of the quote that really struck with me. He says, when you do this, the race goes by quickly. I always tell people to do what you can in the moment. I always tell people to do what you can do in the moment. Be present. Just focus on right now. You've got that burning desire. You visualize success, but all you can do is right now, today you wake up, what's your training going to be today? Today you wake up, what are you going to tackle today in terms of your personal character development? You're struggling to achieve a goal? Hey, what is on the agenda today? So when you develop your plan, break it up into small milestones, pieces. When you reflect during the Passover and you think about how far we are from Christ, there's so many things you have to work on. I've got so many problems. I'm so far from the mark. Just pick one little thing. One little thing. And no one's going to judge you. No one has a right to judge you. God will be pleased if you just take that one little thing and prove to him you can conquer it. Work on it that one day. When you're done with that one little thing, go back to your plan and say, what's next? Get that next little thing accomplished. Get your arms around that thing. Maybe it's just visiting people more. Whatever it is, one thing at a time. Develop your plan. Break it up into pieces and then live in the moment. The third thing, brethren, the next critical step in success. I don't know why my notes are getting all messed up here. There we go. Is you need to acquire the needed knowledge, skills, and resources. You've got a burning desire. You visualize success. You've got a plan. Now you've got to go get educated. Study your Bible. Learn the truth. Seek it out. 
But there's two critical resources that Christians need, brethren. Two critical resources. We've already touched on one. Passion, zeal, commitment. Anyone guess what the other one is? What is a critical resource that you need to be successful in this life? Contact with God so you can learn and get the things you need to do, a relationship. How about God's Holy Spirit? Is that a real thing? Is that a resource? Can you be successful without it? Let's get real here. Can you achieve what Christ wants you to achieve without God's Holy Spirit? You can't. It's the Spirit that quickens us. It's the Spirit that gives us strength. It's the Spirit that leads us into all truth. If you want, brethren, to execute your plan, you have to have God's Holy Spirit. Just a few references. Romans chapter 8 is where it tells us we need the, the Spirit to be quickened, be, achieve eternal life. It talks about the fact that it gives us power. It's a great chapter to read about the importance of God's Holy Spirit. So number f- five, the fifth step, brethren, it's real simple. It's a, one of the most famous ads in the world today. It's an ad of a tennis shoe. Just do it. It doesn't matter how great your plan is, how much burning desire you have, how much you've visualized. At some point, you've got to run that first mile. No excuses. We can read in James, where James chapter 1, chapter 2, it's all about action. It's not about just praying. Yes, prayer is good. I think sometimes that's where I, I beat myself up. I tend to do this. I'm really busy, whatever. All right, I'm going to pray for this person. Well, how about getting off my butt and going doing something for the person? Right? That's how to really help them? Maybe God's waiting for me to execute His will by helping them. Not just praying about it so that God could motivate someone else to go help them. Part of the plan has to be action, brethren. Just do it. So I know I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to go to the last step. The last step, brethren, in the secret to success or seizing success is perseverance. Perseverance. You see, brethren, Satan, the devil, is real. And he is going to throw a whole bunch of stuff in our way. Just like in any competition. In fact, I would bet that that Cavaliers victory was so much sweeter to that team because they were down three to one. Because everybody thought that they were the underdogs. Because of all the drama around the team. Because of all those things that were thrown at them, when they finally persevered through all of it, success was so much sweeter. Let me share a few scriptures about perseverance. I want you to... Oops. 
Let's just go here to Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. All these things that weighed us down. All these things that get in the way of our mission in anything we do, especially in our walk with Christ. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Never quitting. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Brethren, the last and final recipe, attribute, thing that we have to have, that intangible trait to be able to see success is perseverance. So just to summarize, desire, visualization, a good plan broken down into small parts, the resources you need to be successful, God's Holy Spirit, a bias toward action, just do it. And then persevere. Perseverance with Christ. Never give up. If you can implement this in your lives, brethren, you will be on your way to seizing success in everything you do. More importantly, that true success of being born into God's family and truly becoming what Christ wants you to be. Brethren, if you can visualize that, that is the awesome, awesome vision that should motivate us. And brethren, that is worth pursuing.